A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir, go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We, we've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information, go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We're working our way through Romans chapter 5. We've been here a while. Most of us have worked jigsaw puzzles in the past. I assume you have. If you've ever bought a jigsaw puzzle, you know that normally it comes in a box. And on the front of the box, there's a picture of what you expect that finished puzzle to look like once you've assembled it. You've done that, right? Have you ever tried to put together a picture puzzle without knowing what the final picture is going to look like? It's pretty challenging. (laughs) But if you try, you, you see all these pieces of puzzle lying in front of you. They don't make any sense at all. It's just a jumble of pieces. But little by little, you begin to find pieces that fit together and you put them together and little by little, the picture starts to take shape and you begin to recognize some things little by little. 
But at first, even though some of the pieces are coming together, you don't quite see the whole thing yet. There's a little bit of mystery there. It doesn't quite make sense yet. And then there comes a moment as you put the pieces together, one after another, a certain piece goes into place, and suddenly it's like the light comes on. You don't have all the pieces together perfectly yet. You know there's still some pieces that still have to be put in there, but now it really makes sense. You know what the picture is now. Here's another illustration that may illustrate the same kind of thing. Uh, you can imagine looking at a small area of a painting. Say there's a painting in front of you, and it's covered with a cloth except for one little area, which you're allowed to look at. And you can peek at that little area. And you look at that small area of the painting and you study it. And you think, yeah, I think maybe I know what I'm looking at. But the rev relevance of the whole thing doesn't dawn on you at first because you can't see the whole picture. You just see a little tiny bit. And then imagine the whole painting is suddenly revealed. The cloth is removed. And now you see the little bit you were looking at. But now you see it in a brand new context. And it takes on a whole new meaning and relevance. You, you, you see now how it fits in the whole picture. Maybe you've looked at an optical illusion. You stare at it. You think about it. And at first, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then suddenly, even though the object hasn't changed at all, you know it hasn't. You just suddenly see it from a different perspective. And, and you say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. I see it. <laughs> Well, sometimes studying God's Word is a little bit like that. And the passage we're in right now can be that way. Little by little, we're seeing some of the details from this part of God's Word, as we've talked about many times. This is a difficult part of God's Word, and we have to spend some time in it. But at some point, the light begins to come on in our heads and in our hearts, and we really begin to see what God's saying about who we are in Christ. And when it begins to get clear to us, it really does have the potential to change our lives, guys. I'm telling you, it's powerful. God's Word is powerful. <laughs> so we've been in this chapter quite a while now, but I want us to read this passage one more time to keep the context, beginning in verse 12. This is God's Word. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned for until the law sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression for if by the transgression of the one, the many died much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abound to the many. And the gift is not like that, which came through the one who sinned for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So last time we were here in Romans chapter 5, we were looking at the contrast between Adam and our Lord Jesus Christ, especially in verses 15, 16, and 17. The contrasts are many, and the contrasts are deep and profound and very significant. So just a quick overview, our relationship with Adam was physical, natural. Our relationship with Christ is spiritual. In Adam, it was one transgression that brought guilt to us all. In Christ, there are many transgressions that are covered by his blood. In Adam, we are guilty unconsciously without having to consciously decide to do anything. We're just born in sin in Adam. In contrast, we must receive Christ Jesus as a conscious and deliberate decision. In Adam, sin pays a wage, and that wage is death. In Christ, we receive a grace gift, and the gift is eternal life and so much more abounding life. In Adam, there's only death. In Christ, there's abundance, abundance of grace, abounding grace, abounding life. Now, there are two more contrasts I want us to think about just a little bit more deeply here before we move on. And the first is found in four words in the last part of verse 17, the gift of righteousness. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of, here it is, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. In Adam, we became sinners. In Christ, we received the gift of righteousness. This is the most fundamental contrast of this entire passage. Now, please don't miss this. We can begin to see why God has been so concerned and determined to drive home the fact that we were made sinners in Adam. You remember, he, he mentioned it in almost every verse here. We've already seen that this has to be the meaning of the last three words of verse 12. Because all sinned. Because all sinned. We sinned in Adam. And he keeps driving it home and emphasizing it through these verses. Probably the clear statement of it is done in verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So clear. Some people don't like that. We've talked about that before. We won't go through all that again. Now we can see why he's emphasized it so strongly. It's so that we can fully understand that in Christ, we have been made righteous. He, won't, he doesn't want us to misunderstand that, but we've got to understand our relationship to Adam before we can understand our relationship to Christ. You may remember the basic meaning of the word justify. It's not just to forgive. We usually... Uh, think of the word justification as an association with forgiveness of sins, and that's good, it's true, but it's more than that. It's to declare to be righteous. We've not just been forgiven, we're declared to be righteous in Christ. There's a family of Greek words that, that show up over and over in this passage, and, and some of them are nouns and some of them are verbs, but the root of these words boils down to one meaning, and it means to declare to be righteous. I want us to look at these words. and You can tell by the sound of the Greek that they all have the same root. They're all coming from the same Greek root. 
Here it is in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified, dikaiao, justified, dikaiao, listen to those first syllables, dikaiao, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 9, much more than having now been justified, and there the word again is dikaiao, dikaiao, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And then in verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, this judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in, here it is, justification, dikaioma. Dikaioma. Verse 18, so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there it is again, same word, dikaioma, dikaioma, there resulted justification, dikaiosis, dikaiosis of life to all men. Here the root, it's the same in all these words. And then verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. There's the word, dikaios, dikaios. Verse 21, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, dikaiosune, dikaiosune, to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the Lord makes all this especially clear in verse 18. You may remember verses 18 and 19 restate and complete the comparison he began in verse 12. If you've been with, here with us through the whole time, you know that in verse 12 he began a comparison that he interrupts with some parentheses and completes in verse 18. So in verse 12 we read, Therefore just as, so the comparison begins, just as, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And that's followed by a couple of parentheses. Then he comes back to conclude that comparison. He began in verse 12, in verse 18. So then as, so he's reminding us he started a comparison in verse 12. So then as, through the one transgression, Adam's disobedience, the resulted condemnation to all men, we're all guilty in Adam, Here's the completion of the comparison. Even so, even so, through one act of righteousness, dikaioma, there resulted justification, dikaiosis, of life to all men. And that word means being made righteous. He's emphasizing it. He's underlining it. He's just repeating it again and again. So in Adam, we became sinners. In Christ, we became righteous. When Adam did what he did, we did it in him. When Christ did what he did, we did it in him. And this is why Paul can say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. So have you, if you've trusted Jesus. We're going to see that clearly when we get into Romans 6. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. This is not some kind of spiritual plateau or spiritual attainment Paul has reached. This is just the truth of everybody who's in Christ. We're going to learn that really strongly and clearly in, in chapter 6. In fact, just a few verses further down here in Romans chapter 6, we read this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified, past tense, with him, that our body of sin might be rendered powerless, is what it literally means, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
Now, we're going to get into that in some detail. For some people, it's hard to wrap our brains around it because we're used to thinking physically and spatially and in a chronological time. But in the, in the spirit realm, uh, we can't think spatially and we can't think necessarily chronologically. Look at Colossians 3. For you have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus died, we died with him. When we received Jesus, we're placed into Jesus. That means we share in his righteousness and in his death and in his resurrection, just as before we shared in Adam's guilt. By the way, I probably need to chase just a little bit of a rabbit here. So this is kind of a side trail we're taking. But some people will claim that Romans 5.18 teaches universalism. Because it does say all men. You can see if you just take that verse by itself, it really does sound like universalism. Let's look at it again. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. That is, we're all sinners in Adam. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. And some people say, see, that's universalism. But we've got to put it in context. And from verse 17, we know he's talking about all men who receive him. This is a conscious decision we have to make. Verse 17, for by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, there it is, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There has to be a conscious decision. And not all people are willing to receive him. But for those who have received him, we're in Christ. And we're enjoying the gift of his righteousness. Guys, please stay with me. This is huge. It's not just that the righteousness Adam had before he fell, which was basically innocence. You know, he was in a state of innocence in the Garden of Eden. It's the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. We are changed into new creatures. Our natures are changed. The old man that we once were in Adam is dead. We have been in the very deepest sense made into new, righteous creatures in Christ. And guys, listen, an understanding of this makes a huge difference in the confidence we have in God, not in ourselves, in God when we pray. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We're confident to enter into his presence. Why? Because we now have the righteousness of Christ. We sing about this. You remember that wonderful old hymn? I know you know it, the solid rock. Remember those words, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne? Yeah, we can stand faultless before the throne because of what Jesus has done for us and in us. Guys, listen, this is not just sweet sounding spiritual talk. <laughs> Please don't think that. We're not just speaking metaphorically here to try to communicate some spiritual nebulous truth. This is reality. This is who we are in Christ. And our awareness of this reality is a huge part of the victory we experience over Satan in our spiritual warfare. It's part of the belt of truth. It's part of what God's talking about in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him, that is we, the saints, overcome Satan, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, of course, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even to the death. The word of our testimony, what's that mean? We know who we are in Christ. We know what he's done for us. We know the truth about us, and we can use that 
in our warfare. Some people might wonder, well, wait a minute. What if I sin on my way home from church today? Doesn't that make me unrighteous again? Now stay with me here. The answer is no. When we sin, we are still declared to be righteous in Christ, but we're sinning against our new righteous nature in Him. When we're in Christ, we still have the capacity to sin. We're still free moral agents, but we sin against our new nature. We believe momentarily a lie because we're no longer slaves of sin. God's going to make that very clear here in this passage of Romans. We're no longer essentially sinners. We're essentially righteous, but it isn't our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. That's why there's no basis for pride or arrogance. Now, stay with me. (laughs) I know there may be some people who would say at this point, Steve, that sounds kind of dangerous. Sounds like an invitation to sin. I mean, if we're going to be righteous, even if we sin. (laughs) But of course, it's not an invitation to sin. That would be completely unthinkable if we really understood what Paul's really teaching us here. It's unthinkable. But listen, Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, recognized that the enemy would love to lead some people to conclude such a thing. They're called antinomians. We'll get into that later. But that's one reason he begins chapter 6 the way he does. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? And he says, absolutely not. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That just is nonsense. Lord willing, we'll get there soon. But for now, we just need to remember in Adam, we were made sinners. In Christ, we are made righteous. Now, there's one more contrast we've got to consider before we stop today. And it's also in verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned, R-E-I-G-N-E-D, reigned like a king through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign R-E-I-G-N, reign like a king in life through the one Jesus Christ. So in verse 17, we learn that because of Adam's transgression, death reigned. Death reigned like a king. Death came in like a victorious, conquering monarch. And death reigned and ruled over all mankind like a king. And thanks to Adam's sin, this world is a place of cemeteries because death has reigned. People all around the world are terrified of death, and we can all understand why. It's a horrible enemy that has been defeated. (laughs) When we think about death reigning because of Adam's sin, and then we consider the contrast that comes through Jesus, we might expect him to say here, now death doesn't reign, life reigns. I mean, that's, that's the opposite, right? We would think of that as a contrast. But we must not forget those important words that we've talked about before. In Christ, there is so much more, so much more. I don't know if you were in our class or watched the video, but a little over a year ago, you may remember, we did a study on the tabernacle of David. And in that study, we learned how God restores things. When God restores things, he always restores them to a state that's much more, there's those words again, much more than they were before. Like Naaman's skin or Job's situation in life, or Samson's strength, or the requirement of the thief to restore stolen goods several times over, or the Garden of Eden in the millennium, and of course the tabernacle of David itself. So in Christ, it's not just that life reigns, it's actually we who reign in life. 
For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one much more, those, you see it, those, those, that's us, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ who reigns. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's us, we reign in life. Death reigned over us, now we reign over death. God says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, in other words, when we have our glorified bodies, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Not only that, but we reign over sin. Lord willing, we'll eventually get to Romans 6, but look at this. Sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. We reign over Satan. Look at James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. We reign over him. We have authority over him in Christ. We reign over the future world. It's to come. Look at Revelation 5.10. And you have made them, verse 9 tells us he's talking about those who've been purchased by his blood, to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and what? Reigned. There it is. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. First Corinthians 6.3 tells us that we're going to reign over the angels. Do you not know that we shall judge the angels? How much more matters of this life? Guys, this is amazing teaching. When God created Adam, God placed him basically as king of the earth. But Adam forfeited his position. He turned it over to Satan. How? He submitted himself to Satan. He yielded his authority to Satan. But now, in Christ, God has reclaimed and restored what Adam surrendered, and God has made us to reign with him. We are kings. We are kings under the king above all kings, the king of kings. Jesus is not just the king of the kings of the earth. He's the king of kings that he's chosen to reign with him. And hopefully, little by little, the picture is getting clearer and clearer. We're getting to understand who we are in Christ, maybe better than before. We're righteous. We're kings. Righteous kings in Christ Jesus. And of course, God leaves no room for pride here. It's abounding grace. It's all his gift to us in Christ. It's all about Jesus. He gets all the glory. He's done all the work. But we have to dwell on this. We have to emphasize this as much as we do because God dwells on it and God emphasizes it because so many Christians have believed a lie from the devil. The devil loves to shout lies to us, to God's people. And and he tries to lie to us about our identity. And so there are Christians living defeated lives. They're living with a terribly wrong concept of who they are in Christ. And you know what makes this even more complicated and sad? There are so-called preachers out there in the prosperity gospel movement. I ought to say so-called gospel. It's not the real gospel at all. But they will teach a perverted distortion of this very truth 
in a way that appeals to people's selfishness and greed. So it's not the true gospel. It's a form of idolatry, but it sounds a lot like what God's teaching us here. We just got to be careful. We must not throw out the baby with the bathwater. <laughs> There's truth here that we got to understand. We need to realize who we are in Christ. Here's an analogy. I, I think I read it somewhere, may have heard it somewhere at one time, but I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a typical high school boy. And as a typical high school boy, there are basically two things that fill your mind pretty much constantly. And those two things are food and girls. So there you are in your school hallway, lounging up against the locker there at the school, and your mind is going back and forth between the biggest hot food sunny in the world and the possibility of getting a date with the prettiest girl in the school. And while you're standing there thinking about food and girls, the track coach walks up to you and gets your attention. And the coach says, hey, son, I've been watching you walk. You have a lot of bounce in your step. Whether you realize it or not, you're a sprinter. <laughs> and you start looking around, who, who's this guy talking to? Surely he's not talking to me. So you don't see anybody and you say, coach, you're talking to me? <laughs> you got to be kidding. I don't know anything about track. All I ever do is think about food and girls. And the coach says, listen, I'm serious as a heart attack. You're a sprinter. Come on out to the track after school today. I'll prove it to you. Well, he seems to be serious, and now he has you kind of intrigued and interested. So you say, well, what can I lose? I'll go out and meet the coach. So you go out there and see, see what he's talking about. And he begins to give you some instruction and clock you and begins to coach you some and give you some tips. And at first, you're not too spectacular, but something inside you begins to say, you know what? <laughs> that coach was right. I am a sprinter. And as you begin to realize that you're a sprinter, you start putting more time and energy into developing your ability as a sprinter. And, and, and you begin to experience the kind of development that the coach promised you would. It's very exhilarating. It's who you are. Well, time passes. And eventually, comes time for a big track meet. You're in the 100-yard dash, and you're focused, and you're excited. And you're determined you're going to win this race, putting all your attention on all your energy into it. And just as you're getting ready to walk out there on the track to run the race, lo and behold, the prettiest girl in the school walks up to you with the biggest hot fudge Sunday you've ever seen in your life. And she says, hey, buddy, I've had my eyes on you. I want you to come with me. Look, I brought this hot fudge Sunday. It's for you. Come on, let's go. Now, what are you going to do? Well, before you realize you were a sprinter, there's no doubt what you was done. Before you realize who you were, you just thought, I'm just a girl crazy food addict. Of course, I'm going to go with her. But now things are different. You're a sprinter and you know it. At this point in your life, life's about running and winning this race. So what do you say? You say, sorry, Susie, I'm a sprinter. I have a race to run today. I intend to win this race. <laughs> See the difference? You see, you see the point I'm trying to make here? Way too many Christians see themselves as basically sinners. They see themselves as basically hopelessly weak. They see themselves as basically destined to continue in their sin. They see themselves as basically slaves to sin. Now, it's true we are in a real spiritual war. And it's going to be true the rest of our lives. But what God wants us to learn 
is to say to the world and to our flesh and to the devil, you lose. I'm not who I used to be. I'm no longer interested in what you've got to offer. I belong to Jesus. He's made me into a new creature. I'm no longer your slave. In Christ, I'm a righteous king. By the grace of Christ, because of the victory he's won for me, I'm going to win. And we get right back in the battle, and we fight as righteous kings, knowing we're going to win because we're in Christ. And Christ is in us, and he has won the victory. Well, Father, help us to internalize this. You've given us amazing truth. You have declared us to be righteous in Christ. You've told us we reign in life in Christ. We're kings under you, the King of kings. Lord, you've given us victory. You've given us power over the world and the flesh and the devil. We're not slaves to our flesh anymore. We're not slaves to the devil anymore. We're not slaves to the world. We're slaves of Christ. We're slaves of righteousness. And because of that, you've made us into kings and, and priests. You've made us free in Christ Jesus. You've given us the power of Christ. And Lord, we know it's not any of our own doing. We know it's not our strength. We know it's the strength of Christ in us. But Lord, help us never, ever to believe Satan's lies as he wants to keep us thinking that we're still slaves to him and slaves to sin. Lord, we know better. So thank you for teaching us this awesome truth. Help us to live according to the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.